And if you're going to stay with us, let's come to the book of Daniel chapter 7, please. Daniel chapter 7. As you're finding that, let me thank all of you that have been praying for my health. I've, I've turned a corner. My, my voice is doing a little bit better, as you might can hear. But uh, still, you know how this goes. It takes a few days to get it all worked out and back on your feet. So, Daniel 7. And last time we uh, looked at verses 9 and 10. We are going to start there again because there are still a few things we need to see. Oh, shame. Daniel 7, verses 9 and 10. And by the grace of God, we'll make it all the way down into verse 13 as well. All right, so a couple of things just in, by way of review in verses 9 and 10. It says here, I beheld till the thrones were cast down. This is in Daniel's vision. And uh, he's, he's seen now beyond the four kingdoms that were mentioned. You have the kingdom of Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and then Rome. But Rome, part of this is those long legs that end up with the feet and the toes and the ten horns and all of that. It's a revived Roman Empire, and Daniel is seen to the fall of that. So that takes you to the end of the, what we call the tribulation time. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Now this You don't read about this part of prophecy very much in the Bible. But I am going to show you the one place, the one time in Jesus' ministry where he does mention it. So hold your place here. Get Matthew chapter 16. And if you've been with us these last few weeks, I've actually been preaching from this passage. Now, of course, I've been doing it from the Gospel of Luke. But this is the one time Jesus alludes to the Father coming down at the end of the tribulation slash beginning of the millennium, that beginning of the kingdom age. I'm going to show you some other verses as well today that, that indirectly nod to this. But watch Matthew 16, verse 27. Jesus says here, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His angels. So th- this is, it's in this one occasion where he talks about coming with the glory of his Father, in the glory of his Father, because the Ancient of Days coming down on that burning, fiery throne is part of this millennial kingdom inaugural moment, all right? So I just wanted to point that part of it out to you, that the Father is going to be there. It doesn't look as if... The Father's presence is going to be on the earth throughout the millennial time, throughout that kingdom, but at least at the beginning it is. Now, back in Daniel 7, verse 10. So again, just by way of review, I'm I'm kind of laying a little groundwork here. Verse 10, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. So we took a look at... The, what we call the judgment of the nations. Just again, by way of review, Matthew 25, you got about 100 million people gathered there before him, and then the sheep are separated from the goats. I gave you a long list of verses about this fiery stream that issues out from before the Lord. When Jesus comes back, we come back with him. 
We're talking at the end of the seven years of tribulation. Jesus leaves heaven riding on a white horse. We are also riding on white horses. We are called an army there, and we're coming back to fight the battle of Armageddon. And there's a fire that issues out from before the Lord. In the book of Psalm, chapter 18, in Psalm 18, it says it comes out from his mouth. Now, whether or not that's like physically coming out or he speaks and out comes the fire, right? A fire proceeds out. Either way, this fire burns and, and almost creates a path. So before him, the Bible says, it's like a garden. It's green and lush, but then after he passes through, it's burning pitch. Now, when you just trying to condense all of this material, if you look at the path that Jesus will take when he comes back to the earth, there is some reason to think that he might touch down at Mount Sinai to begin with. As he comes down from heaven, there are a couple of verses that seem to indicate that, but I, I can't say that definitively. But maybe Mount Sinai would be a good touching down spot. If it's not there, then I guarantee you he will pass through a place called Bozrah. Now we get this from Isaiah chapter 34. And again, we've looked at that passage, so I'm not going to re, uh, re-read it with you now. But he cuts through Bozrah. Bozrah is down where we, in the Bible, we call them the Edomites. Today it is the land of uh, Jordan and also Saudi Arabia, down in that area. So he's going to start there. It's also a place you might know as Selah Petra. Uh, there's a, a history to that in the Bible and, and in the world. That's a, a, it's been long known that this prophetically is a place that is prepared for the Jews to go and hide during the tribulation. So Jesus will touch down there in Bozra and then make his way up past Jerusalem to what we call the Valley of Megiddo. Maybe you've heard of the Battle of Armageddon. Armageddon the, is Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Megiddo is Megiddo there. So this fiery stream, it looks as if it's going to run from Bozra all the way up to at least Megiddo, and there's a book, or, um, a verse in Zechariah, that fiery stream might go all the way up to Lebanon, which is well up north. But at least in the land of Israel, you have it from Jerusalem up to Megiddo, which is up in the north. All right, so I'll let you look on a Bible map later on. You can find those two cities quite easily, Jerusalem and Megiddo, and you can see where the fiery stream will, will be situated on the earth during that millennial time. Now, that fiery stream is there, and it will be there for a thousand years. Turn to Isaiah chapter 66. Let me show you how the people in that time are going to be able to access it, see it, how it will be used. Isaiah 66, right to the end of the book, get verse 23 and 24. Now the fiery stream that issues out from God's throne, the one we're reading about in Daniel 7, it it could be referring to this particular stream, this fiery stream could be. It might be a separate one, it could like flow together with it. Again, uh, prophetically speaking, kind of hard to put it all together, but Isaiah 66, look at verse 23. It shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. Now, now watch carefully what it said at the beginning of the verse. They shall go forth and look. You will be able to go out right up to that lake, that, that temporary lake of fire, and see the people suffering in it. 
So I showed you the verse in Matthew 5, verse 22, that in that millennial kingdom, things are a bit strict, very strict compared to now. And if you say to your brother without a cause, thou fool, if you call him a moron and you don't have a good reason, then you can be cast alive into that lake of fire. And, and it says here, men shall go out and see, and see what's happening to them. That'll be a great deterrent. <laughs> that would be a great deterrent to say, okay, we, got, we have to take this seriously. Say, why is it so strict in that time? The king of kings is seated upon the throne of his father David. All of these prophecies, over a thousand of them have been fulfilled. There is no excuse for disobedience and, and willing rebellion against the king at that time. Hence, things are so strict. All right, so come back to Daniel 7. Now, again, I, we've talked about this uh, lake, that temporary lake of fire. I've shown you some verses. So those are just a couple of things to remind you of what we're looking at. Daniel 7 and verse 11. It says here, I beheld then because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake. Now, you might remember the horn... In this vision from Daniel 7, this great horn is, called, is the Antichrist. Right? And as we go through the rest of the chapter, we will see that again. So I'll touch more on that a little later on or in the weeks to come. He says, I beheld because of the voice of the great words. Right? I, I think I showed you the verse. If not, we will see it again, I'm sure. But in this tribulation time, the Antichrist is going to say many blasphemous things. But one thing he will say. He is going to go into the temple of God, which is going to be rebuilt. And he is going to sit there in the temple, right where the presence of Jehovah used to be manifested. He is going to sit down there and proclaim to the world that he is God. And the world will bow down and worship this man and reverence him and accept that claim. Now, that's just a taste of the great words which the horn spake. So what Daniel is saying, Daniel in this vision, he has seen all the kingdoms crumble. He has seen the Ancient of Days come down and set up his fiery throne with the, that temporary lake of fire issuing out. The judgment is set. The books are open. Can you imagine the, the nervous tension in that moment? Can you, you know how it is when you get excited and you're holding your breath to see what comes next? That big climatic moment? All right, one by one. These sinners get judged. And now Daniel, he's paying special attention to this particular man. Here comes this Antichrist. This man that claimed to be God. So Daniel is watching how the Ancient of Days, along with the Lord Jesus Christ, is issuing judgment. Sheep, goat, sheep, goat. And he knows this is going to be a big one. I want to see what God has to say about this flame. So he got to listen to, and Daniel, come on, man, being sneaky here. He got us all worked up going, okay, I was waiting for this big judgment. And he doesn't tell us what is said. Right? He got to hear it. He got to see it. He just tells us how it ends. Um, this is a spoiler alert. Right? I mean, that, that's how it ends. But come on, man, we want the juicy details in the middle. All right, but let's come to Revelation chapter 19. Let me show you. According to the revelation shown to John, this is John speaking about the exact same event. Revelation 19. Let's get verse 19. All right, Jesus, 
along with us. We have come back. Uh, that's verse 15, 16, 17 and 18 is the great supper. All the, the, the birds come to clean up the mess in verse 19. And I saw the beast. Now see what we, what we called the horn in Daniel. In Revelation, he's called the beast. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. There's Jesus and us. Verse 20, and the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worship his image. These both were cast alive into a, that's that temporary version, a lake of fire burning with brimstone. So that's, that's John's report of the same story. Now, let's look at it in a couple of other prophets because the other prophets also saw this particular uh, event taking place. God showed it to him. Look at Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14. Now, if you've been around the Bible much, this might be a familiar passage to you, Isaiah 14. But I'll say this, I have rarely seen anybody handle it what I would consider properly. And I'll, show, I'll tell you why. A lot of times we come to the Bible with preconceived notions. I, I mean, we know this is true, right? I think all of us go through this. We, we grow up hearing the stories in Sunday school and hearing what mom and dad or maybe a pastor or a priest says about it. And we just kind of take that in as it must be so. And then we read it into the Bible rather than just reading the Bible. So how many of you have heard this before? That before Satan fell, his name was Lucifer. But then after he fell, his name was changed to Satan. How many of you have heard that before? All right. You know that doesn't stand anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> I can see it. What? I, actually, just recently, when Brother Welder and I were here, we had a conversation about that. And then he, we were talking about this passage. He said, but the original name of, of Satan was Lucifer. I, that is something that preachers have said for centuries but that's not in the Bible. Now, how many of you know this verse in 2 Corinthians 12? It says, Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Right? Remember that verse? That's something that can happen now. You know what the word Lucifer means? Light bearer. So if he can transform himself to appear as an angel of light, Lucifer is a very apt description of what he is now and how he can appear now. So to say that was, an old, that was his original name and then it got changed, that's a bit of storytelling and not really Bible teaching. All right, so just to introduce the passage, let's get, start at verse 4. He says that thou shalt take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, How hath the oppressor ceased, the golden city ceased. All right, so immediately you say, well, this is the king of Babylon, and, and it is. Most definitely, that's what it says. However, I bet you're familiar with this verse as well. Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. What, what is written on the, the whore's forehead? Mystery Babylon the Great, mother of harlots. Remember that? So when you read about Babylon in the Old Testament, yes, you are reading about an, an historical kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, etc. But there's also a spiritual and prophetical point or, or nod to the future, to a, a spiritual leader. So when we're reading about this, yes, there's some history to it, but also you're going to see without a doubt, 
we're jumping forward a few thousand years here. In verse 5, the, the Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. All right, so say this to the king of Babylon. And now he says, I have broken the staff and the scepter of the rulers. That's Daniel 7 when he saw the thrones cast down. Because by the time in history, when Isaiah said this, the king of Babylon hadn't fallen yet. So this is jumping out in the future when all these rulers are put down. Verse 6, he who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he that ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest. Okay, pause. When did that happen? When has that ever happened? <laughs> I'll tell you when it's going to happen. When Jesus Christ shows up, then the whole earth is at rest. So now we have a verse that unequivocally tells us what context we're dealing with. Yes, in some small ways, historically, Nebuchadnezzar. But ultimately, this passage is fulfilled in the future with the, with the Antichrist going down. All right, let's keep reading. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing. Yes, amen. It's not just turning your hymn books to 255 and singing. Eh, boy, the whole, they're at the beginning of the kingdom age. Oh, man, we're going to sing. Verse number 8. Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee. <laughs> I love it. Nature starts getting into it. You know what it says in the book of Psalms? The trees will clap their hands. I, I got to see that. <laughs> the trees giving each other high fives. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is here. I mean, this, this is going to be awesome. The fir trees shall uh, rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no feller is come against us. So nature is even rejoicing and has something to say about the Antichrist going down. Verse 9, Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. Hell's excited, can we say? Because they know that we're getting a big one. Any sinner going to hell is, is awful but, but, and momentous in a way, but, but this guy who thought he was God coming down to hell, oh, that's a big one. Hell from beneath is moved for thee to meet thee at thy coming. It stirreth up the dead for thee, even all the chief ones of the earth. It hath raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. So all these kings that have died and gone to hell you can read about this actually in Ezekiel chapter 32. There's a list of them. Pharaoh is included in that list. He's named there. And then some other nations. Down in hell, there, you know there's the angel of the bottomless pit, Revelation 9. So he's down there going, all right, everybody, everybody get up. All right, everybody put your tie straight. All right, here we go. Here comes, here comes the guy who thought he was God. <laughs> and they're all standing up, almost mocking him, saluting him as he comes into hell, making a show of it. Verse 10 all they shall speak and say unto thee, Art thou also become weak as we? Art thou become like unto us? Why? They had great power, but now they're nothing. Verse 11, Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy vials. The worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Yes, the worm that dies not. Now, verse 12. In the light of all of that, we get verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven... O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, now usually verse 12 is read independent of, it, of the context, right? You only get verse 12. And they say this is when Satan fell before the foundation of the world and he took of a third of the angels with him. That's, 
Verse 12 has nothing to do with before the foundation of the world. The only mention of, of, let's call it eternity past, is son of the morning, which simply means he was there at the beginning. And he was. He was one of the first beings that God created. So son of the morning only refers to that part of it. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? You know how I I know for sure verse 12 is not talking about something that happened before God created the earth. Because when he fell, he weakened the nations. There were no nations before Genesis 1. So this falling from heaven has to refer to a time when the devil falls from heaven, comes down to the earth, and weakens the nations. Now you can just write in your margin there, Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, 10, and 11, which says there, you read about Michael and his angels fighting against Satan and his angels. Michael wins the battle, and Satan is cast down from heaven and then attacks the nations. There is a direct cross-reference for this. Scripture interprets Scripture. So this is something that's going to happen in the middle of that tribulation time. Verse 13, For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. Now people rightfully say the devil was cast out of heaven because he had pride in his heart, which which is true. I'm going to show you another passage now where, where we get that. But this verse is not talking about that. It's not talking about the devil being cast down from heaven. Not in verse 13. He's already been cast down in verse 12. In verse 13, it is telling us, after the devil is cast down, he will enter into the body of the Antichrist. By this point, the Antichrist will have been assassinated, and now you have an empty carcass of a man. Satan enters into that body, resurrects it, and now presents himself as God to the world. And it's at that point that he announces his plan. And he says, here's my plan. He said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. You kicked me out. You cast me down. I'm going to make a comeback. I'm going to win this battle. You can knock me down all you want, but God, I'm coming for you. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon, upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now all of this, he's saying, while he's down on on the earth, deceiving the nations, they're bowing down and worshiping him as God. He is killing God's people by, by by the thousands. They're being murdered. They're being persecuted. By the thousands. He's beheading them. If they don't take his mark, all out onslaught against God's people. And he says, here's my plan, and I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to win. Verse 15, yet. <laughs> okay, you said all that in your heart. Yeah. Go ahead. You talk a big game. Yet, thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. So you thought it was bad when I cast you down from heaven down to the earth? Oh, you haven't hit rock bottom yet. <laughs> you can be cast down even lower than that. You're going to go down to the sides of the pit. Verse 16, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee. What does that mean? They, they, they focus in real, real close, narrowly. They take a real close look at you and go, aren't you the guy that said you were God? Are you that guy? Man, you don't look much like a God. <laughs> Puny God. 
Because now the angel has you by the nap of the neck. He's about to throw you into the bottomless pit, into that lake of fire. He says, verse 16, They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of the prisoners? He was a very uh, harsh dictator. Verse 18, All the kings of the nations, even all of them lie in glory, Everyone in his own house. Now, his house here is actually a grave. All these kings that have passed away, they have their own house. It's, a, it's where their body lies forever. But, look at verse 19. But thou art cast out of thy grave like an abominable branch. You're just like a twig that somebody threw off to the side. You don't even get a grave. And as the raiment of those that are slain, thrust through with the sword that go down to the stones of the pit, as a carcass trodden under feet thou shalt not be joined with them in burial because thou hast destroyed thy land and slain thy people the seed of evildoers shall never be renowned he said you'll never be a big shot oh you can talk about how you're going to be above the stars of god you can you can say all those prideful things but eventually you're going down so far down that we'll just toss you aside and nothing nothing so I want you to come to Ezekiel 28. You can see these great plans, these great things proceeding out of the mouth of the horn, these great swelling words of pride. And Daniel says, I want to see what happens to him based on what he said. And that's how it ends up for him. Ezekiel chapter 28. Verse number, now, for the sake of time, forgive me, we don't have time to go cover the whole thing, but starting in verse 11, you have a description of the fall of Satan. We're talking how he appeared in the Garden of Eden, what he, what he actually, he's not an angel, the devil is not an angel, he is a cherub, you see that in verse 14, and how he fell, why he fell, all of that's in verse 14, 15, 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty... Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. So his greatness went to his head. Haven't you seen this repeated in humanity over and over again? Somebody has a lot of natural ability. Perhaps they're beautiful to look on or they have great talents, a good singing voice, or they can kick or throw a ball very well. And all of a sudden, because they're good at a few things, it goes to their head and they think, I can do everything. And the devil, right, he's the poster child for that. He's the originator of it. Verse number 17, in the middle there, I will cast thee to the ground. Well, now you've seen the other verses for it. That's Revelation 12. That's Isaiah 14. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings. You saw it in Isaiah 14. You saw it in Revelation 19. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Now, he's going to be a big-time businessman, which again, I, I'm giving you a lot in a little, bit of, a little bit of time here. Go read Revelation 18, and you'll see how the Antichrist not only has a one-world government and a one-world religion, but he controls the economy as well, and he, he pools all the resources of the world. So it says here, by the iniquity of thy traffic... Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee, 
It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Now I must admit, that's an interesting verse. Not only fire, not only is he cast into a lake of fire, but he says, I'll bring forth fire from the midst of you. I'm not real sure what to do with that. I'll be honest with you. I'm kind of like Daniel, where I, I read it, but now I got to see how that works out. How, how does, is it internal combustion? <laughs> Just like from the inside? And how, how does that work? I, the devil is inhabiting him. I, I, does, does he somehow fire from without, fire from within all at once? Does the fire somehow consume that physical form when he's cast into that lake of fire and then what's left burning there is just a, a, a soul? I, I, I'm not quite sure. And that's okay. I don't have to understand all that. I, I'll see it one day. Right? When faith turns to sight, then I'll understand it. Then I will know even as I am known. So I'm happy to wait, but there's the information on it. All right, let's come back to Daniel chapter 7. In verse 12, Daniel 7 and 12, as concerning the rest of the beasts, the other kingdoms, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. All right, there's two ways to approach this, this verse. Because Daniel is summarizing the vision that he's seen. There's two ways, I think, to, to approach it that are equally good. It could be that he's saying here, I saw each kingdom rise... I saw each kingdom fall. I, I saw their dominion taken away. And I saw that after they fell, those people, like the Babylonians after they fell, the people continued as a people group. You could recognize them and say, those there are Babylonians. They speak the language. They wear the clothing. But after a while, their culture, their language faded out. And, and this is true. They kind of bled into the next person that conquered and the next culture that conquered. So it might just be talking step by step how their dominion was taken away. And then for a season and a time, for a little while, they continued on, but eventually just kind of bled into the pages of history and faded away. It might be that. But it could also be prophetic because he says in verse 9, I saw the, till the thrones were cast down. So it could be all at once Babylon, Persia, Greece, to this day, they still exist in different forms. Now, Greece, obviously, they're still a, a people group we know of. Babylon, we don't use the term so much, but the, that's the Iraqis. And Persia, that's Iran. That's the Irani, Ar, Iranians, Iranians, Ironians, I, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> the people of Iran, it, it, it is those people. So it could be that what Daniel sees is when Jesus comes back, their dominion is taken away. In, during the time of the Antichrist, remember that little horn overtakes three other horns. It could be that he overtakes those three horns. And that when Jesus comes back, their dominion is taken away. They no longer have authority. But now, just for a season and a time, during that millennial kingdom, they still continue uh, as people groups. You can recognize them as separate people groups, but they don't have any uh, sway. They don't have any authority during that time. All right. So it might be one, one way or the other there. Now, verse 13, I think is where we're going to end up. Verse 13, he says, and I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people 
Nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. For centuries since this verse was given, this was the key passage for people believing about the Messiah. For for understanding what the Messiah would do. That he would be... Now, the interesting phrase here is like the Son of Man. Do you see that? One like the Son of Man. That's what Daniel saw. This is partly why the Jews thought the Messiah is not going to be necessarily a divine figure, but a human figure, because he's like the Son of Man. So if you don't have a capital S, which in Hebrew you wouldn't have had that, or in cal- this is written in Aramaic actually, there's no capital there, they would just read one like a human being, the Son of Man. So they would think this, okay, well then the Ancient of Days, that's God, and then one like the Son of Man is going to be brought to him, And the Ancient of Days will then give authority to this human figure, and this human figure will run the world, all right, as king of kings. So that's why the Jews, if they just looked at this passage, would think the Messiah is not necessarily divine, but he is given great authority. He's one like the Son of Man. Now, for you and I, because we're sitting 2,500 years on the other side of Daniel writing this, We can look back at how Jesus has fulfilled so much of this. We can look back at what Jesus said about this passage, and we are able to understand it much more completely and fully. But if you're a Jew just hearing this, I understand why they read it independently and go, okay, the Messiah is just a man who is going to conquer the enemy and rule forever. There's nothing mentioned here about the Messiah, the anointed one is what that word means, This anointed one, the one that the Ancient of Days will inaugurate on the throne, there's nothing here about him suffering or dying, paying for anybody's sins. He's just going to conquer the world and have dominion. That's what the Jews were expecting. Now, why would it say one like the Son of Man? Why not just say a Son of Man? Why say one like the Son of Man? Remember last, was it last Sunday? I preached about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, just put yourself on that holy mount for a moment. What would you think if you saw Jesus with his, his raiment is glistering, it sparkles, but not because of sequence or anything. It's just a shirt, but it, it begins to shine light from it. His face is shining like the sun. Do you know any human beings walking around that look like that? No? I don't, but, but he has a face, he has two hands, two feet, he's wearing a shirt, he has, a human, he has the human form, so you, if you saw that, you'd say, okay, he's kind of like a human, but not a human, <laughs> he's kind of like a, a, a child of Adam, son of man, but not, not the typical one, so the best way to concisely describe that is, well, he's like the son of man, <laughs> But, he, but it's not just any old son of man. It's not just any other son of Adam. This is the son of man. It is a particular one, specially chosen. You would have to admit that. And I think now looking back at it, we can see, that's why it says like the son of man. What Daniel is seeing here is exactly what Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw the glorified Jesus coming in his kingdom. That's what they saw, right? That's what Daniel's seen. And the best way to describe that is 
Well, son of man, yes, there's a man, but he's not like any other man I've ever seen. So like the son of man. Okay, now a few other things that we need to talk about in this passage. Is he a king? Well, according to this passage, no doubt he is going to be the king, right? So hold your place here, get Zechariah chapter 9. Let's see how far we can get here. I, I don't want to rush through this, but I also want to give you as much as I can. Zechariah 9. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. All right, so the Son of Man, if you're a Jew, and if, if I can't ask you, this is, uh, this is hard to do, I, even myself, I struggle to do this. Remove from your mind, just for now, New Testament knowledge. All right, just, just put that out. And, and read this as if you are a 5th century B.C. Jew. That you have the book of Zechariah, you have the book of Daniel, and you're looking at these verses about this person who is going to come and save your nation. Right? So you would rightfully call him Savior. You would rightfully call him the King. Yeah? Rightfully call him the Son of Man, based on what Daniel said. So these are all acceptable titles. Right? Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Now, aren't you familiar with that verse? Right? And immediately when we read it, what do you do? You jump into your New Testament knowledge and go, oh, well, that's Jesus. I, mean, I already know that happened. All right, so put that aside just for a second. What do you do with this if you're a Jew in the 4th century, 5th century B.C.? You've read in Daniel, one like the Son of Man, who is going to be the king. He comes with the clouds of heaven. But this verse says he comes riding upon a donkey. Is it a donkey in a cloud? <laughs> How do you do that, right? How do, you, how do you bring those two verses together? Do you see why when Jesus showed up and began telling the people, listen, I am the Messiah, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to... They're going, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. People had been confused about how to put all these verses together. You talk about looking through the glass darkly. Prophecy is not easy. It's, it's easy once it's happened to look back and go, how did you miss it? Well, yeah, but you have the whole story. This is not an easy passage to reconcile. Here is definitely the same person being talked about. It is the king. Daniel, the king. Coming, have dominion forever. So the Jews reconciled it like this. And they said, okay, if we, as the king's people, if we act right and we are worthy of our king, then he will come back with the clouds of heaven and gloriously conquer the enemy and deliver our kingdom back to us and reign over us. But if we are a wicked people, disobedient and rebellious, then our king will still come, but he will come riding on a donkey, lowly and, and almost ashamed and embarrassed of us. But nevertheless, he will come back either in the clouds or on a donkey, one or the other, it's up to us. 
That's how they reconciled the two verses, which of course had nothing to do with how it was actually going to work. So just for the sake of time, I'm going to pull up right there. We're going to stop because I, I want to take my time next week. We're going to take a look, a long look at this son of man figure because this, this claim of being the son of man, this is one of the last things Jesus said to the Jewish leadership before they sent him out to kill him. Are you the son of God? And he said, you, you said it. He said, I am. And the next thing you're going to see is the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And he, Jesus quotes Daniel 7. So it's a very important passage. And I'm going to take you back to Psalms. We're going to go through entire Psalms looking at how important that, that figure and that claim and those verses are. Okay, that's where we'll stop for today. Let's all stand if you would. Father, thank you for allowing us to look in the Scriptures. There's so much to learn, Lord, so much. And we don't claim to understand it all. Some of this stuff, Lord, is looking through the glass darkly. But Father, just from what you have shown us, we are excited about what is to come. And Lord, uh, we, we know for us, listening for that trumpet call, Lord, we, we're, we're, we wouldn't be disappointed at all if we don't get to have church this morning. If you want to come back, we'd love to have our service up there with you in heaven. Please, Lord, until that time, we want to be faithful. And Lord, we... We want to assemble. We want to do it in a way that pleases you. Help us to do that. And please bless.